Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. On this week's show, first impressions of ESPN's Euro 2020 coverage, how ESPN handled the Christian Eriksen emergency, observations about Fox's Copa America broadcasts, and your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, this is going to be a very fun episode. Um, there's so much to get to. There's so much to talk about. Uh, it's sometimes hard to figure out where to start, but uh, if you are new to the podcast, uh, we're your weekly guide for hardcore soccer fans who want to talk about the game, but want to talk about the soccer viewing options from around the world, who want to talk about uh, the soccer TV coverage, the streaming coverage, etc. So this is the best place to go to for that soccer media discussion, analysis, questions, and of course, uh, a lot of your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. Now, Kartik, I think, I think probably the best place to start off with is Euro 2020. I think uh, both you and I have been living this now for uh, almost a week, and uh, with the addition of Copa America, there's games on now from 9 a.m. in the morning, Eastern Time, all the way through till 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So you've got 13 hours of coverage. Um, how are you holding up so far as far as the, 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 the onslaught of soccer? I'm wiped out. And I, I was uh, assuming I would just, because I'm, I have a real distaste for the way this Copa America tournament is being the way what what has happened, which is uh, the hosting of the Norte, uh, 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 the Norte side was the North was taken away from Colombia, the uh, the the Sud the, the South side was taken away from uh, from Argentina, and it's now Wait. in Brazil with Bolsonaro. Yeah, but taken away though. I mean, like Colombia. Taken away, yeah. Well, but well, Colombia said we could Colombia couldn't host. Right, well, it wasn't Columbia taken away. Has been screwed before with hosting tournaments. I mean, this well, is not nothing. Yeah, here. but but Colombia had the riots. I mean, it's not as if. Uh, Colum- well, yeah, Brazil, everything's peachy. Everything's just peachy <laughs> in Brazil. Come on, no, I no, mean, but I, I mean, you have you have governments that are responsible in Colombia and Argentina, and the government that's not responsible in Brazil. So my point is, I wasn't really keen on on the tournament, but 
I've gotten sucked into it. So how am I managing? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I'll manage well the next couple of weeks to answer your question, but I'm still alive right now, although I am, I'm sure like you, Chris, exhausted at the end of each day. Yeah, I, I, I am too, but I, I'm picking and choosing a little bit more this, uh, it's, it's been less than a week so far, but I, I'm not watching every single minute of every single game. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping a couple of games here and there just, just to, you mean, so, so I don't get burnt out, but, uh, but the Copa America probably, maybe I asked you the question about the, the Euros and Copa, but let's start off with the Copa. Copa America uh, coverage live on Univision on the Spanish language side, and then of course on Fox Sports on the English language side. The most apparent thing I think from these broadcasts thus far on Fox is well, and Univision too, is the the empty stadiums. And uh, I'm not sure why, but I guess I was imagining that there would be some some fans in the stadiums, given how bad the uh, COVID crisis is still in Brazil. I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised. But you have these huge cavernous stadiums. You have the the Maracanã. Some of these stadiums that uh, hold, I mean, in the past have held like what 120,000 people, completely empty. Yet Fox uh, has had the the fake crowd noise. And Univision too. Univision doesn't have it tuned up as much, but I'm watching these games, and and even the camera angle, um, which is the the cam the camera that's on the pitch side, is so far back. It's just it looks it's a strange experience with no fans, especially at the same time that uh, Euro twenty. I mean, we saw the Hungary game against Poland and uh, Portugal, uh, a complete uh, sellout. I mean, every every seat filled. It's a strange experience watching these two tournaments at the same time and how different they are. And to me, to a little extent, uh, it's taking away some of my interest in Copa America just with them being empty stadiums. What what about you, Kartik? Does that influence your viewing habits at all? Not really. It doesn't matter to me. I'm relieved that they're empty stadiums, to be honest, given the situation in Brazil. Yeah, but but what what was the alternative though, right? So Colombia had the riots, yeah. Argentina had um, I mean COVID cases still. So then Brazil gets the hosting, which yeah, I, I don't agree with Brazil hosting the tournament either. And, and Chile, Chile didn't want to host either, right? Chile has got a COVID issue. They maybe it could have gone there, uh, but Brazil, I think it's wholly, you know, it's a. And there were a lot of regional governments in Brazil that didn't want to host games, state governments. There were Brazilian players who didn't want to play the tournament. So let's let's not pretend like Brazil. We Brazil has a autocratic leader who thought this would be good for his nation's image. I I guess let's leave it at that which is similar to hungry so yeah so 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 copa america so far in terms of the coverage itself um we're going to step aside from the politics for a minute but the coverage itself as far as what fox is doing on this one it, it really feels like for me watching these games and listening to the analysis um is that this is this tournament is being used as a vehicle to promote fox's coverage of Major League Soccer and the World Cup, it it, it feels like it's filler because there, there isn't. I mean, in terms of the pre-match um, studio, it's you know, Rob Stone and Alexia Lalas and Ali Wagner. Uh, there isn't a lot of effort being put into this, um, and then the commentators, John Strong and Stu Holden, who are both good in their own right. Um, but they're not experts on South American football. There's plenty of English language speaking 
experts that they could have used. Um, and that's just the first uh, couple of games. There's a lot more of the games that'll be coming up where Fox will be using some of their talent um, who probably know less about South American soccer. But I don't know. It just doesn't feel... I'm not excited about this Copa America, Kartik. What about you? The coverage? Well, I I don't like Fox's coverage at all. I, I've, I've already switched to Univision for it. Uh, this having been said, the alternative, Chris, is to have this in English, on pay-per-view or on DN. So the viewers who are not happy with Fox, I understand it. I relate to it, but Fox probably got this for a song, really, rights-wise, financially, compared to some other uh, f- competitions in football, football, soccer. Uh, and uh, they are at least showing you the, 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 the tournament. In fact, some over the air, like the Brazil-Venezuela game. It, it, you're, you're not stuck with uh, complaining about not having BN and saying, oh, I can't watch the Copa America because it's it's on BN and I'm forced to watch it on, on 2DNA uh, because of that. Or people complain that there are people who seemingly don't want to watch uh, events in Spanish, which is something I still can't get my head around. But I, I recognize a lot of listeners are that way, that if it's not on in English, they don't want to watch it, right? Um, and then, um, and or you, you get a pay-per-view. You can do what you're doing for South American qualifiers. So I, I my instinct, which is to hammer Fox for their coverage, I'm going to pull back on today because I think they're giving us a tournament uh, that we would not see, would not be as accessible to us in English if not for them. Now, I have no problem watching 2DNA. As I said, I've already switched to Univision and, and 2DNA for this tournament. Uh, but I still think Fox is doing a good thing by making this accessible for the English language audience in this country. And if it's, it is a platform to build for World Cup 2022 and their MLS coverage, so be it. I, I, they needed some incentive to pick up the tournament. So I guess that was what the incentive was. I guess in a way, it's probably good that they have some coverage because it, it before this, it did seem that they were out of the game for a while, that they weren't really bidding for soccer rights. But it's not just a choice between being sports and pay-per-view. I mean, the last Copa America before this one, it was on ESPN+. Plus. Now, ESPN+, Plus, well, ESPN as an entity for the next 30 days uh, has Euro 2020 as, as its flagship product. It's everywhere, right? It's just uh, kind of if you turn on ESPN and Sports Center, chances are they're talking about Euro 2020. So it would be in competition with, with itself. So it probably did not, you uh, mean, bode well for, for ESPN or make sense for ESPN to actually go for the rights heavy on this one. Yeah, you're right. Fox probably got it uh, pretty cheaply on this one. Uh, I think most people interested in Copa America watching Univision. Uh, for those games, I, I've just been not that excited by what I've seen thus far. And um, maybe it'll, it'll get better. Maybe it'll pick up. But uh, most of my time has been spent uh, watching Euro 2020. I want to mention, I want to remind people of this because I think we have this conversation every four years or every two years, uh, every two years, actually. These major tournaments tend, the worst matches in major tournaments tend to be the ver- first set of group stage games. Always, almost universally. And the big exception was Russia 2018, where right out of the gates, you know, we had some really good matches. So 
um, be patient with both these tournaments because especially given the circumstances of a long season, guys who were injured, uh, you know, fitness levels maybe being lower than they, they would normally be uh, in a summer tournament. They're usually not as high in the summer tournaments. They are mid-season in the European seasons. Uh, I'd be patient with both these tournaments. I think the football will get better. I know Chile, Argentina was really drab. Uh, Colombia, Ecuador was really drab. Uh, just to name a few in Copa, same thing with several of the Euro matches. But I, I think it's going to get better. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I, I mean, I mean, the other factor about this too, Kartik, and that's a good point, is just last week there was World Cup qualifiers from CONMEBOL. So you had uh, Colombia playing play Argentina, Ecuador against Peru, Venezuela against Uruguay, and then here a week later now they're playing Copa America. So, so the players haven't had much of a break, and uh, and and again playing in stadiums with no no fans in there, I think that has an impact too. Um, but so yeah, yeah. I'll I'll definitely continue to watch it. It's just that so far I have not been as impressed. Now Euro twenty twenty thus far, Kartik. Um, whew, there's a lot to go into here. But but what for you have been some of your highlights uh, of the TV coverage of the tournament thus far? Yeah, we have to start, and I think maybe we'll have a longer discussion about this later with, with the way the Christian Eriksen emergency was handled, uh, both by uh, ESPN here on the English language side and by uh, the BBC over in the UK who had that specific game. BBC and ITV rotate games in the tournament, uh, but BBC had the Denmark-Finland match, and then uh, also Univision uh, here on the Spanish language side. So I think that that was that's the first first thing. I think we're having a really good professional presentation. I think ESPN there is um there is I don't want to call it inconsistency because I don't see it as inconsistency. I see it going from strength to strength, but I think you're seeing their commentators their, their primary match commentators are all very different in the way they approach matches, right? And their co-commentators tend to be fairly different as well. And then in the studio, they've had a healthy rotation of people. I think uh, Taylor Twelman has excelled with his technical, his technical and tactical knowledge, which is really showcased on the Euro Tonight show, I have to say, Chris, probably more than their normal studio shows. And I think most people aren't watching Euro tonight. Yeah. I'm watching it. I'm not. Watching but I'm not it. sure everyone else is watching it. Are you watching it? No, I'm not. I mean, because okay, to me, yeah, I'm watching. Yeah. You mean three games a day? So by the time that third game's over, I mean France Germany on on Tuesday when as we're recording this one. You mean I, I I'm burnt out, or I'm ready to take a break, or I'm ready to go get dinner, or, or whatever it may be. So the Euro 2020 tonight program, I'm not watching. Um, and, yeah, and, that's, and, and that's and, and it's on pretty late. It's not it's not on right after the games. It was one day, I think, but generally it's on seven or seven thirty, right when the games end at five Eastern time. And, and that is a shame because um, we're missing that tactical analysis. I mean, so it seems to be being basically shown almost as a leftover, kind of a little bit later in the day. We're not getting that for that nine o'clock game or the noon game or the three o'clock game. It's kind of been, okay, hey, let's put it on at the end of the show for the Euro 2020 uh, Tonight program when people maybe are watching that one in more de- more in-depth or it's a different type of audience. Well, I, for the most part, I, I don't think I've seen any of the tactical analysis that Taylor's done. Okay, so there was one exception to that to the Euro Tonight thing, which was the segment he did with Chris Coleman uh, before. Now, it was before the Denmark-Finland game, so we completely forgot about it because obviously an hour later, all our lives were kind of changed uh, by what happened. 
And uh, so it was forgotten, but there was a really good uh, uh, tactical segment, although Twelman was getting into Belgium, who was not playing in the next match, right? They were playing later in the day. Uh, but, but of course, Belgium is a team that I think carries a lot of interest because uh, everybody has a favorite player who's Belgian, I think, right? It seems like so many people, when you talk, ask them who your five favorite footballers, one of them will be one of the, the Belgian stars. So, And maybe the same thing for France, right? Those are the two teams with mm-hmm. in this tournament with guys who are bona fide world superstars. And Portugal also would probably be the third team there. Um, but yeah, so they had that segment. They had a really good segment about with 12 minutes, uh, analyzing Calvin Phillips' movement and Raheem Sterling's movement. And see, I've talked about Sterling's movement for years, and, and people who uh, – uh, I, I know I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder when it comes to Raheem Sterling because I feel like he, no, no footballer in my – at least in recent my recent lifetime has been as maligned as him for no reason. Uh, but the thing that managers love about Sterling, and this is why Hodgson picked him, that's why Southgate picks him, that's why Pep picked him, that's why uh, picks him, this is why uh, Rodgers picked him, this is why uh, 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 Pellegrini picked him is that he does so much work off the ball, which you don't often see on a regular match broadcast when you're watching. So Twelman really got into Sterling's movement and why Southgate decided to start him instead of starting Grealish or maybe a, quote, sexier choice. And uh, and then did a similar thing with Calvin Phillips and how that double pivot for England works. And then he did a similar feature on Spain. So he's done a lot of tactical, like, telestrator moving of, 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 uh, you know, drawing, illustrating things. Mm -hmm. But you're right. They're all – most of them are off the main coverage, which – so the main coverage ends up being a lot of filler instead of that. Would you prefer? Would you prefer to see the tactical stuff? Because I would, uh, but I, I also understand that maybe it's niche and and people like me are going to watch Euro tonight anyway, and I'm the target audience for what Tolman is doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see that. I mean, overall, kind of big picture overall in terms of what I've seen from ESPN so far. Honestly, I've been disappointed, and and the reason being is that it's been very conservative. Uh, it's been very muted. It's been very kind of laid back. And there hasn't been a lot of debate or discussion or or tactical analysis. I, I guess I keep on missing it. I mean, I'm watching hours and hours. It's just been a lot of talk. And, and yeah. I think what's missing is that you don't have a protagonist. You don't have everyone's being too nice to one another. Um, the way that the, the, the show is, is formatted is, I mean, Reese Davis, the host, handing over to Maka. Maka gives his, like, I mean, 30 seconds to 45 seconds of uh, uh, analysis or, or conversation about something. Then that moves over to Del Piero, and Del Piero says this, that, and the other. Okay, back to Reese Davis. Okay, go to the commercial. Okay, we're back in a couple of minutes. And it seems to be that kind of format throughout the day, even if the the actual host is changing from Reese Davis to Kay Murray to Kelly Cates, uh, etc. And then when they move to the living room, when they have the living room format and they have Chris Coleman, Maka, Taylor Twelman, you mean whoever the, the cast of characters are, it's the same type of format. It's it's like, hey, Chris, what do you think about this? Okay, all right, I think this. All right, now we move on to someone. So there's all it is is just kind of just... Uh, one conversation after another, there there isn't a lot of back and forth. Like ah, I disagree with you, uh, Chris Coleman. I think that's, I mean the 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 way that the the French team set up was, uh, I mean whatever whatever the the actual line is or the the discussion point. So I I think overall, this is very different than what 
I've been used to from ESPN in the past. ESPN in the past, I think back to World Cup 2010, World Cup 2014, Euro 2008, etc. But there was a lot of discussion. There was debate. There was like, hey, this is let's take Roberto Martinez and Jurgen Klinsmann and Taylor Twellman and have them on the set debating whatever the topic is and have that discussion, that back and forth. And it was really good television. What I'm getting so far is just a very casual, comfortable, nicey-nice. Uh, I mean, the, the the studio set that they have, it reminds me of um, what NBC uses, where it's three people sitting at a, at a glass desk and back and forth, and then we go to the game. I mean, it all, it's all produced. It looks great. But I, I can't think of any discussion from the first week of the coverage so far where I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was a great topic. That was a great debate. I, I, I'm learning something from this that I didn't know before. What, what about you, Kartik? Well, I think, um, and you and I have talked about this privately, that they've broken out ESPN FC as like an almost completely different division. And the reality of the matter is if you watch Dan Thomas any night, he's going to push those buttons as the host. Right. So if you're watching ESPN FC, he didn't host last night. Actually, Kay Murray hosted last night, but he's been hosting uh, uh, prior to that during the tournament. He's going to push those buttons. So maybe they have made a concerted decision for uh, to be very conservative and more neutral on the on the network side and more uh, more edgy on the plus side. I, I don't know, or maybe it's just a byproduct of the host. Thomas is is asked the right questions. He's provocative. He's uh, you know he 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 he, he starts he, he gets the 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 uh, commentators or the, the the other studio pundits to make mix it up with one another. Maybe that's what's lacking. Because you're right, we haven't had that. We did have that in one show, which was a Euro Tonight show with Taylor Twelman on the tactical side, kind of uh, challenging. I, I can't remember who it was, Chris Coleman, maybe, or uh, or, or Tim, Tim Howard challenging them a bit. But yeah, on the actual mainline studio program, if we break out Euro Tonight as kind of an extraneous show that's not part of the block of coverage from uh, 9 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. to 5, yeah, there hasn't been much of that. And I think, in fact, I have to say the uh, the, 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 the bridges between the matches have, have not been very interesting. I agree with you on that. The, the 11 to 12 uh, bridge, Eastern Time, the 2 to 3 bridge have not been terribly interesting. And, and, I, and that's um, unfortunate. I think maybe we need some Jules Lorenz. We need some Gab. Uh, Marcotti. We need we need some of the guys that make ESPN FC such a lively show. I mean, I noticed the other day Craig Burley was talking about Scotland winning at Wembley, and he said Don Hutchison goal. I would have liked for him to have been able to say our colleague Don Hutchison goal, and you'll see Don later today on our coverage because Don Don Hutchison, another guy like Burley who mixes it up, uh, provokes some of that discussion. And Hutchison is only on ESPN Plus right now; he's not on ESPN. So that's uh, that's another one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think the the hosts, the byproducts of the hosts are that they're they're being too nice. That that Reese Davis is kind of setting it up. Kelly Cates is ex- extremely nice, um, and Kay Murray's. You mean the, the, so there are very similar pieces, a bit of people in those roles. And and what we're missing are the debates. Although although Seb, Seb is different, Seb Salazar, and and I will say I think he's he he, he may have pushed some buttons as the host, but then he ended up being the host the day that the Erickson thing happened. So it may have been, uh, he may not have had the opportunity. So let's let's wait on him maybe to see what he comes back with the next time he hosts. So, so the question I have, Kartik, is 
which, I mean, the one person who can stir up that debate, who can actually be the one that uh, everyone loves to hate or everyone loves is Taylor Twelman. Although Taylor Twelman is doing mostly commentating, I mean, doing the big games, doing the co-commentating, I think doing a good job, especially when games are good. When it when it's a, a France against Germany and it's a fast-paced game and there's so much to see and talk about and the tactical analysis, fantastic. On those yeah. games where it's uh, Sweden against Spain and it's it's slow, it's it's uh, it's tiki taka, but it's uh, a different pace and it's very um, rough and tumble from from Sweden. And I think I think he has difficulty sometimes being as good in those types of games where sometimes he's a little bit over the top. Um, John Champion too, kind of like really talking about how how wonderful this game is, how fascinating. I think w- the words that uh, John mentioned in the first half. I did not find that game fascinating at all. Which um, one, the Sweden game? Yeah, the Sweden Spain game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you meant the France Germany. No, 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 no. No, no, it wasn't fascinating at all. No, France Germany was very fascinating to me. Compelling, probably the the best game of the tournament so far. But the the the. The Spain-Sweden game, I think John Champion and, and Taylor Twelman oversold it. And, and even during the broadcast, I mean, Twelman a few times in the first half saying, like, this is incredible. Just look at what's, look, look, look what's happening be- before our eyes. And yes, it was interesting because it was, you mean, a Spain team misfiring against a, a Sweden team that was hanging on and, and two completely different contrasting styles of play. But um, but overall, I think Twelman is a good co-commentator, probably one of the best in the country. But I I think he's he's better off actually being in the studio, uh, having those debates and being the, the key person to to. But the way that the set is structured, I don't see that happening. It's almost like they need to change the desk and have it kind of traditionally like what they've had in the past, where they have you mean these people a lot closer together rather than so spread out. I, I just don't think that the the actual way that the set set up is um, is and the way that the hosts are talking and the way that the the show is very formulaic and it to me is not making good television. The, the formulaic thing again. Uh, this is something I, I'd love ESPN to to, to 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 talk to us about. Dan Thomas and the ESPN FC show is not that formulaic. Uh, it, it's it's very good and Thomas pushes buttons. That's the way he hosts, and I, I love it. I mean, I watch that show every night. I think everybody knows I'm kind of a groupie of that program. Um, but to me, even with now, I, I've made this commentary before, Chris, about ESP, about NBC's coverage of the Premier League. You're right. I said nice things about ESPN at the beginning of this podcast. I still do because of the production, et cetera. And I, in my mind, ESPN FC is part of ESPN. But I am still doing the same thing. I will wait to see when when Dan Thomas and the gang is on tonight on ESPN, ESPN Plus or on Hulu and watch it because I need that bit of analysis because I have not gotten and that bit of conversation and provocative and things that make me think also about the games that I just watched that I'm not getting from their mainline studio coverage. So I, but, I, 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 I give you the point. You win, you win the round on me on, on yeah. that because I, I, I'm realizing I'm doing the same thing. I'm watching Euro tonight because Taylor's on every night and he's giving the tactical analysis that we're not getting during the regular studio programming. And then I'm watching ESPN FC as I always do because uh, those buttons will be pushed by whether it's Thomas, even when Kay uh, hosts and you're getting she's, she, she pushes buttons on that show that she's not pushing on the uh, – on, on the main studio program, because I think you're right. It's very formulaic. 
but e- I think that's smart. But but even though that uh, even though that Kartik though that you have Craig Burley who's I mean borrowed from the ESPN FC crew on the main ESPN channel for for the Scotland game as as one example, um, and we're not getting the best out of him. I mean in terms of just the format that the show is in currently, and I don't see ESPN changing the format of the show kind of midstream. They could if they wanted to. But um, but you're right though too that ESPN FC crew as far as being more spontaneous and more lively, um, yeah, that's definitely the, the destination for that. The other we thing we were actually with one another. Last point when when we got the list of people who were um, working the uh, working the uh, the tournament for ESPN uh, from from ESPN PR, and I said to you, I was disappointed Dan Thomas wasn't hosting, and now. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm actually relieved he's not hosting because then I still have him on the show where he's going to push the buttons and not kind of fit into this box. So I think uh, overall, you're right. Formal A would be the word. I would say, though, Kartik, that the commentary has been great. So you you, you look at, say, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Derek Ray and Efinokoku, fantastic. I, I mean, Derek Ray, probably one of the best in the world at what he does. Yep. I mean, a, a really scholar of the game, perfectionist. Um and a great conversationalist, and and Effen Okoku, a great pairing between the two of them. I mean, Effen is in terms of his playing career, but very eloquent. Somebody who's probably flies under the radar when we talk about some of the best co-commentators in the game. Uh, you and I have have been big fans of him for probably more than a decade in terms of yeah, fifteen of years for me. I mean, I watched yeah. him in two thousand six, two thousand seven on Premier League broadcasts. And then Mark Donaldson and Matteo uh, Matteo Benetti doing a great job. I think for the games that they've done um i mean john champion we've mentioned uh taylor twelman uh steve cangelosi i mean to me that has the stereotypical american accent stereotypical american style of commentary uh I, i've been okay with him i mean I, i'm sure that I, know, I know there's been a ton of people that haven't and alejandro moreno over the years i've grown to to respect him and like him a lot better he is very uh, entertaining uh, he's not everyone's cup of tea though Oh, oh, okay, so actually, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's the guy who could stir it up if he's in the studio more. Uh, because yeah. he, the stuff he was saying about Morata yesterday, which, by the way, he says on ESPN FC all the time, he's not like Morata for years. Uh, he's been right. <laughs> I, mean, right. I think I borrowed some of Ali Moreno's uh, sayings about Morata and put them on Twitter and, and passed them off as my own opinion. But they're my opinion also. But that's the sort of stuff we haven't seen in the studio when he's basically like, I can't remember, was Kay Murray or, or Kelly Cates was saying, well, I have a Murata as their number nine. Fernando Torres isn't walking through the door. That's the kind of thing we need more of, right? Yeah. That was actually a good moment, and then he repeated it after the match. Uh, but we're not – because he's – so I think both Ali Moreno, Taylor Twelman, because they're, they're being used as co-commentators, they're the two guys who can mix it up, and we're not seeing them in the studio. But then again – you mentioned Craig Burley, who is the best, I think, in the business at it, at mixing it up, uh, provoking opinions, giving unfiltered views, and uh, the formulaic uh, uh, formula for, of, of the studio shows maybe don't permit him to do that. I would also say that actually the Macca has been underutilized. I mean, he's been used a lot, but we're not getting much out of him. I, I think he is much better as a co-commentator. Uh, obviously, paired with Ian Dark is kind of the, the dream team on, on the ESPN side, but I, I, I don't know. It just there's not much coming out of him that I'm like, okay, wow, that was a great comment. Same thing with Chris Coleman. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Chris Coleman fan in, in terms of the player and the manager, but um, 
I don't know if, again, if it's the host asking the questions or if it's him thinking that the audience doesn't know much, but it's very mediocre analysis. And, and, and I'm a huge fan of his. And I was really excited to have him on, on the set. But I think those are two key people that underutilized. Del Piero, I think, has a lot of knowledge but at times his English, it's tough. It's, he's trying to get the words yeah. out and he's having a difficult time at times trying to, you mean, just really kind of communicate, really. Um, I'm, yeah, overall, I, I mean, I'm happy that ESPN's doing all of this coverage. What I would like to see, actually, is that um, rather than 30 minutes before game time, uh, have, in, especially for that that first game of the day where it's uh, 8.30 and the broadcast starts. I mean, I would have liked to have seen ESPN start up uh, broadcast a little bit earlier, maybe an hour pregame. Yeah. Um, but overall, you have to look at this and think, okay, well, how does this compare to CBS Sports and what CBS Sports has been doing the last, say, six months? And it's not in the same category. Uh, it- no, on the surface it's not, but CBS has never had to cover a tournament and go uh, like this and go uh, a, a, a summer tournament and go end-to-end. So we really don't know. I mean, I think the thing we, we compare it to is, is uh, Telemundo and Univision and and, uh, and Fox. Uh, but I do I do agree with you. I think that there's uh, they, they need to be a little more edgy. And as we were having the conversation, I realized, well, yeah, you know, I'm saying ESPN's doing great partly because I'm watching Euro tonight and I'm watching ESPN FC and I'm just kind of grouping that into ESPN's coverage of the uh, of the tournament when, in fact, those are outside the blocks of programming that they're showing. And then the commentary has been great. So um, I would obviously, say. I, I would say, I'm sorry, just, just to chime in for a second. I'm, I'm so disappointed with a lot of soccer fans out there, Kartik, because the amount of people that seem to get this whole thing wrong about ESPN+, Plus, that they thought that uh, Euro 2020 coverage would be live on ESPN+, Plus every single game, uh, you mean the full match experience. And I guess a lot of people didn't do their homework because um, we've been talking about this on the podcast for several oh. weeks, if not months, talking about ESPN's coverage and what to expect. And uh, you mean it's going to be on, on ESPN and ESPN2 and you mean it's going to be on ESPN3. It's not going to be on ESPN+. Plus. You'll get your multicam there. But there's been so many people complaining about this. And this is this is a television property. This is a major tournament. This is not a streaming uh, destination for this tournament. So the, the amount of people that were holding off on getting a cable subscription or, or whatever to get ESPN, they were thinking that they could experience this tournament through ESPN+. Plus. And unfortunately, a lot of them were really upset about it, but upset at ESPN. Yeah. And, and, and I don't understand where the confusion was. Um, in fact, in fact I, I think that they should be thankful ESPN is giving the enhanced features on ESPN Plus, which, by the way, I had wanted to mention that at some point during the podcast. So this is a good, good, good segue. Um, those are actually really good. So what I've done is I keep watching the matches on my television, but I've got my iPad open like I did during this just this recently completed France-Germany game after we're, we're recording right after that match. So I could watch the player cams and there are three different cams they have on that. I did it for I've done it for a few other matches as well. So 
So you're still getting some tournament coverage. You're not getting any of the studio shows. You're not getting any of the wrap-up shows because this is a television property. And every major tournament is a television property. You're not going to be able to cut the cord and watch the, uh, and not have a cable subscription or access to cable. Um, even you can have cable through like a Fubo or, 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 or a Sling, obviously, and watch the World Cup in two years. You're not going to be able to do to do that for uh, any major tournament. I don't think until at least 2026. I mean, there might be um, – there will be streaming components and enhanced features, I think, for all these tournaments. And that's what this is, right? This is an enhanced features. But I do not think for those out there who thought you could watch this uh, directly after you cut the cord and you, and you just have streaming services, I, I just don't think that's going to happen for at least another four or five years. So – I'm enjoying this uh, tournament, Kartik. I, I really appreciate that ESPN's putting a lot of effort in in terms of having all this television coverage and wall-to-wall ESPN coverage and everything they're doing, and then also the ESPN FC and then the nightly show and ESPN Plus having the multicam feature. But what we're talking about is basically what ESPN could and should be doing better because they have an opportunity here. Uh, we've seen them have some of the most probably some of the best televised soccer tournaments we've ever seen in this country. So we look back to, I'd say, I'd say the high point really was World Cup 2014 um, in Brazil. That was from start to finish, just, just extraordinary in terms of what they did and different things that they tried that were very experimental at the time, very risky um, in terms of, you mean the kind of the setting and having the, uh, the casual patio where they'd have some really intelligent conversations and discussions. So they can do better. But what I would say is, Kartik, I can't believe that on the opening ceremony of Euro 2020, Andre, Andrea Bocelli, the Nessun Dorma, one of the anthems of, of soccer, one of the anthems of European soccer, the anthems of Italian soccer, something that has been around this game since uh, World Cup 1990, something that is so special, something that uh, uh, Bocelli sang or sang opera, uh, this song uh, for the Leicester game, which was just, I mean, I, I was in, in tears. And ESPN didn't even show it. I'm like, what the? Like, so sometimes it makes me think. Sometimes, sometimes it makes me wonder: Does ESPN really understand and get soccer? The people that are producing these types of broadcasts. We've said the same thing about NBC. Sometimes some of those those things that you, as a soccer fan, know intimately about the history of soccer, about uh, you mean everything before the Premier League. You mean top flight football, first division, division one, etc. And then something like this with Bocelli, with Nessandorma, and they don't even show it at all. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how could they have missed this? And then this was such a eloquent moment. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. It's on YouTube. It's on Twitter. Uh, I watched it probably on that day, probably. I replayed it probably about 10 or 15 times. I had my family sit down and watch it. I talked to them about the history the opera, I was in tears, absolutely in tears watching this. Tears of joy, because this was such a, a, a an eloquent moment after an extremely difficult 14 months with the pandemic. And here we have Bocelli in a stadium, Olympic Stadium in Rome. And what a beautiful scene it was. What a beautiful um, setting it was. And ESPN completely missed the ball on this one. And I was like... I cannot believe that they did this. I I was just like 
dumbfounded. Shocking. Stunning. Because they wanted to set up the tournament, right? They wanted to spend an extra 15 minutes with Reese Davis and whoever was I think uh, it was flanking him that day. I can't Mac- remember well, it was. Mac- it, was. it was just talking, talking, talking. It was Mac. Yeah, they just Coleman. wanted to talk more, right? And uh, about about storylines that had already been established. Now, again, this might go back to ESPN having a half an hour throwaway preview show before a U.S. game on Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday before the Friday of kicking off the tournament. Maybe they could have had Reese Davis. Uh, who didn't even host that show, by the way? It was it was Kelly Cates. Because I had Reese Davis with the same studio people asking those questions at that time, made that an hour, and then uh, done a proper opening uh, opening ceremony. I, I've never seen a tournament. This is a great point, Chris. It's a few days. We've had Christian Erickson in between, so I forgot about this. We've never had a tournament uh, or an Olympics or you know some sort of international event covered by a U.S. network where they didn't show the opening ceremony. Right. right. <laughs> that, that's uh, I think it's the first time that I can remember. Yeah. In my we, lifetime. We had the, the U2 song uh, with Bono. Yeah, we had we had Bono, Bono uh, eventually, but that was yeah. like 10 minutes after. So what about um, Tim Howard? How is he doing so far? Because that was a question that I had going into this. I wanted to go in with an open mind to give him a chance. I haven't been a big fan of his at Turner or NBC. And I don't think he was hitting the ground running by any means. But what's your take so far on how he's doing uh, with ESPN? Much better. I think his camera presence has improved. I don't know if that's some production aspect of ESPN versus NBC and Turner. Uh, and we know Turner had their had they they were trying to do a thing, right? They had their shtick that they were trying to do. So uh, maybe he just didn't fit into that. There's. Uh, Actually, to be honest, we're getting probably more analysis from, from Howard consistently uh, than anyone in their studio, right, who's not, who's not Twelman when he swaps in and Moreno, right? Those two, uh, as we said, are co-commentators also. I also want to see more of Casey Keller, actually. Casey Keller, very good analysis. Again, uh, for those who don't know, Casey He's Casey been my Keller, favorite. He's been my favorite so yeah. far this tournament as yeah. far as studio he, ana- analysis. Really, really good. Like, like a, a professor. Really good. Professor. Casey Keller is a is a co-commentator on the Bundesliga World Feed, one of the few Americans uh, that uh, is on any sort of World Feed for a European league. So he has uh, a, a, speci- a specialist expertise in the Bundesliga, and there are a lot of Bundesliga players in this tournament. So uh, Patrick Schick scoring, uh, Schick scoring that goal was perfect for Keller being in studio because he was able to go through the career trajectory of Schick the way that I, I don't think anyone else is able to. So that's great, but why are we seeing him just randomly? I, maybe they've employed too many people. This might be part of it also because yep. we, we're saying Howard is good, and, 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 and we like Howard, or I'm saying Howard is good. He, he's different than he's been at NBC, but I'm not seeing enough of him either, honestly. I mean, maybe, maybe they're, they're trying to mix and match too many people in. Perhaps it's because it's a long tournament and they're get, everybody's getting their reps now. When we get down to the knockout stages, we're going to have a more consistent uh, a lineup. Maybe there'll be cuts made. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there, yeah, there it is. seems like they're trying to do too much at times. Yeah, there is too much because you've got uh, Christian Fuchs, who was a, a late addition. That I, I don't think that was part of the, the plans. That was not in the press releases. No, he just, he just retired as a player in the last couple of weeks, actually. Right. So, so that, that was good. He was good, especially given the yeah. perspective on, on Austria. Um, Tim Howard, I haven't seen that much of. I mean, I, when he has been on, he's been better than, than what, what I've seen him at, do, do at NBC. But, but yeah, you're right, Kartik. I think they do have too many people. And, uh, and it seems to be kind of just everyone's on rotation. And 
I don't know. It's just it's, it's disappointing because I know they can do better. Um, let's let let's we have a um, a comment from one of our listeners here. This is from Nick. Nick says, "I understand if you don't want to discuss this on the podcast, as it is a delicate topic." They're still very raw. However, if you're willing, I would love to hear your thoughts on how ESPN and UEFA handled the Christine Eriksson incident from a broadcasting perspective. I thought Derek Ray did a tremendously classy job, but the UEFA produced feed was terrible in continuing to show the medics working on Eriksson and even showing distraught family members. Once it became clear how serious and perilous the situation was, the producers of the UEFA feed should have switched to crowd shots or zoomed out stadium shots. Once ESPN producers recognized that the UEFA feed was not doing that, they should have cut back to the studio ASAP. I specifically wanted to ask about ask you about what kind of preparation goes into dealing with extraordinary events and what kind of industry standards they may be in how to deal with something like this. Is there a reason ESPN didn't cut back to the studio sooner and continue to use the UEFA feed? Perhaps they needed time to get everyone in place. As rare as these kinds of disturbing events may be, broadcasters and producers have a responsibility to be prepared to deal with them properly and respect the dignity of those involved. Of course, this is on the bottom of the list of concerns related to this event. But when the dust settles, I think broadcasters need to do a serious review of how to handle extremely, extremely distressing events like this in the future. And, and Nick, that was really, really good feedback and, and some good uh, discussion points there. Kartik, when this happened, uh, as it was happening, where were you and, and, and what was what were you thinking when, when this whole episode happened? Yeah, so not only was I watching the game, I was focusing on it, on Christian Eriksen and had been focusing on him from about the 10th minute. Uh, I don't know. Those of you who follow me on Twitter might might have realized. I don't even think I posted my tournament bracket. But I actually had Denmark going to the semifinals. I had them as a sleeper. Uh, said Eriksen uh, and Hoiberg were the big reasons why, I thought, and, and, and among, like, Yusef Polson and a couple of other uh, players I really like on that team. But really, Christian Eriksen. So I was focused on him. So I saw it instantaneously. And... I have to – it was horrible. I, I have to say I've done – you know, I kind of beat myself up about this later in the day saying, look, I th- – this happens on football pitches every now and then. And uh, we see people collapse. We know of people who've died on football pitches. I work in the game. So I, I, I know a little – I know of even more incidents than maybe the general public. Um, I, I was I, I was devastated. I mean I, I was crying. I was I, – I, I, I couldn't – function and again part of the part of the thing that i was beating myself up about chris is this is a player that i really liked it's a player i've watched tons of uh between this time in in, in the era and then in the premier league and now at, at inter uh and and being a guy that really uh improved his game as the year went on as inter caught ahead of steam uh, in, in this season and uh i so because it was a player i like so much and i follow closely i felt like i was more devastated and i was it it was like a family member and it was awful it was awful to watch the camera angles i don't know why i don't know how they train camera people in europe uh i have to say that but they they made those mistakes that nick mentions and nick is right nick's nick's uh, comments were perfect here's the thing chris there's the same conversation going on in the uk i've listened to some of the uk reaction and 
it's to a T exactly what we're saying here. They're saying about the BBC there, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they cut the UEFA feed? Same things we're saying about ESPN. So I think there has to be some training, as Nick indicates, maybe in the future for an event like this, for producers uh, to, to, to switch to another feed for commentators. And as it turns out, our commentators did a wonderful job, Derek Ray and Effin Akoku. Akoku even saying, uh, several times, we don't need to see this. Uh, don't show those images, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, very openly uh, during during the broadcast. And uh, there needs to be some sort of protocols put in place. And as far as UEFA is concerned, I don't know what they're doing, right? I don't know how no one had the sense to midstream in the event Get, get a hold of the producer of, of the world feed of the of the UEFA controlled stadium world feed. Remember, also because of COVID, you they're, they're, the options in terms of production are limited. That's important to remember. So ESPN, Univision, of, of BBC, ITV, they can't take their own cameras there, right? They're, they're not. They're 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 right, at they the all using, using the same yeah, world feed. They're right. all using the same feed. How this could have been so badly botched is beyond me, but. The bottom line is the same conversations are happening in the UK as in the US. Now, the one caveat I would have to say, Chris, is I was, you know, I was so bothered by it as you were. This is all a player we know and we followed. It wasn't, again, I, I feel kind of I beat myself up out about it, up about it because it wasn't some random guy. Uh, I think we'd all feel bad about any random guy, but I felt especially bad because it was Christian Erickson. That was the same case with the BBC studio and maybe a lot of the people on ESPN because they played with him or they played against him. Everybody knows him. He's a star in in European football. Uh, He's a big name. So maybe the BBC studio team, which was Gary Lineker and then a bunch of, you know, former players, uh, Mika Richards and Alex Scott, et cetera, maybe they didn't have – the composure yet when it happened to go back to the studio might have been the same thing here might have been very difficult to go back to the studio and you have guys like Christian Fuchs who play with Casper Schmeichel he's played with Casper Schmeichel for seven seasons the last seven seasons mm-hmm. maybe they just they weren't ready to go on air in, in the midst of this uh, situation so yeah. we have to account for that also but then maybe you show still images of something else maybe you yeah. I don't but, know well okay. Well, how it went was bad from the from the imagery perspective. Yeah. So, so, so real quickly, I, I mean, from my perspective, so I was sitting down watching this game live with my daughter, um, who's fourteen years old, and I didn't see him collapse. And then I saw the TV footage go in, and the players circling around him, and then all of a sudden, I mean, we're watching this live, right? Everyone's watching this live and seeing the body shake. The whole body stiff as a board, shaking, and I'm like, "Oh gosh!" So I said to my daughter, "Okay, look away." This is really disturbing to watch. Um, and then broke in, broke out in tears. And then my, my in-laws were in town, so there was probably like six or seven of us circling around the television, going like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening here? Like, is he okay? Is he going to make it? I can't believe what's happening." And it's one of those things. It's difficult. It's live sport. No, it's really difficult to prepare people for for these types of instances because it's so fluky, so freaky. It hardly ever happens, right? Once in a, maybe, say, 5,000 games that a, a television producer is going to be doing is that this is what's happening. But I guess it would be the UEFA producer, uh, the, per, the person that's managing the, the feed, uh, selecting which cameras to, to go to, go to camera one, go to camera two, whatever it may be. Um, 
I, I didn't have as much of an issue about that. I mean, I think the viewers around the world, I think all of us were like, hey, is he okay? What's happening? And seeing the, the, the Danish players um, circling around Christian and then walking him off the pitch and le- leading him out and seeing the fans. And actually the fans gave me a, an idea of how serious this was too because we couldn't really see much. And I was like, okay, is this... Is he okay? And and then seeing the fans crying in tears, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this this is this is crazy. And 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 after probably so it went back to the studio. Well, I actually went to a commercial break, came back to the studio, and it was just dead silence. I mean, Seb Salazar, Craig Burley, Christian Fuchs, I think it was, and and there was Seb. There was silence on the set for about two or three seconds, and then Seb said, hey. This is just this is just uh, this is horrible that what we're seeing happening too. In hindsight, it's easy to make suggestions. I think in hindsight, I think in many ways it would have been better to go and go return to regular programming or, or to go ahead and say, okay, we're going to re- do a replay of of yesterday's game, the the Italy game, the op- opener, and we'll keep people updated on the ticker at the bottom of the pay- at the screen as far as any updates. But the most difficult thing, I, th- I think, was uh, was ESPN continuing the, the, the broadcast because, I mean, what can anyone say? I mean, everyone said pretty much the same things, like, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely devastating. This is horrible. Um, and I think, I mean, just talking through it, and it, it made it worse. It made it more depressing. And I, I just had to switch off the television. I switched to the tel- tel- television and I said to my family, okay, let's get out. Let's go away. Let's let's just 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 get it out of the house. And I was shocked to find out when you called me, Kartik, when you were saying, I think about an hour or two later, saying like, "Hey, the game's back on. He's okay." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" I thought for sure that this game would have been, I mean, postponed until the following day. But but going back to Nick's point in terms of the preparation that goes into dealing with events like this, um, I don't know to be honest with you because uh, I'm not. On the production side, I don't have a lot of knowledge on that side. What what Kartik and I kind of share is, yes, we have some insight in terms of the industry, but but we're viewing it just as fans, just like you are. And um, we haven't gone through training of what it's like to be a TV producer and all the work that's required and uh, from that side of the business. But what I can say is I thought that Derek Ray, fantastic in terms of the way that he talked us through that and also Efna Koku I thought the two of them were just just out of this world um very informative very very respectful and did a, an A plus job of, of dealing with, with a situation that you I mean it's got to be really difficult to go through what do you what do you say um and I think in hindsight ESPN could have made some changes and done things differently but uh I just hope to not have to see that again because it was just just a, such a horrible I mean, image that's going to be in, in my brain for the rest of my life. I'll, I'll, ne- I'll never forget that. Yeah, I think that's the case with, with me and with many other people also. So one thing that I'm going to take ESPN and everybody else to task on um, is that – Obviously, immediately after I, w- I called you and said the games are back on, I was shocked. I, I wasn't for the games being back on, but they were. We knew that uh, Lukaku was playing. He c- plays currently with Ericsson. is very close with him. Aldo Rorel was uh, for Tongan. Two former Spurs uh, teammates of Ericsson were playing for, for Belgium. Um, that was mentioned. 
And that was acknowledged in the broadcast and in the telecast. And obviously, Lukaku made it clear. You know, he scores a goal, uh, whatever, eight minutes in, nine minutes in, runs right to the to the camera, and, and, and says to uh, Christian, "We love you. We love you. Stay strong." Um, but the next day, Harry Kane is playing. Um, uh, uh, they were playing. Uh, oh yeah, Brozovic is playing for for cool. Croatia. Yeah. Uh, Perisic is playing for Croatia. They're all these guys who are teammates or have been teammates with Ericsson. Kane in particular is close with Ericsson. In fact, Kane's spouse is close with Ericsson's spouse, Ericsson's partner, who we saw sobbing right uh, inappropriately was filmed. There is no mention of Kane. All I'm hearing on both the UK coverage and the US coverage is how poorly Kane played. No coverage, no consideration for the fact that he was playing the morning after or the afternoon after one of his best mates almost dropped dead. So I, I have to take everybody to task on that. I think mm-hmm. we, we move to we, – we're not – I know we all want to kind of psychologically move on. I do too because I'm still traumatized by it. And as you said, we're going to see that image of his face and of his body um, in that – those minutes that he was on uh, on the ground uh, for the rest of our lives, and it's going to horrify us. But it's been too easy for commentators to move on and not actually analyze what the Ericsson situation means to some of the players who are closest to him who are still in this tournament. Not just the Danish players. Okay, I know that they'll talk about that. But the players who played with him at both Inter and at, at Spurs. And Daily Blind, that's another one who played with him in, in, in the Netherlands yeah. before he went to Spurs, uh, who said he was in no condition to play and got subbed off by, uh, by Frank DeBoer because of where his head was, quite honestly. And we now know that in hindsight. So that sort of stuff, I think, needs to be talked about. And it's not being talked about. Yeah, yeah the difficult thing, though, I, I guess we're talking about it. The difficult thing is even for us, the TV viewer, who may not be an England fan or a, D- a Danish fan, or you I mean, it could be a fan of any country. It doesn't really matter. But part of the healing process for us, I think, in many ways, is is to move on. So even though it it is, yeah, we should we. And actually, this is a, a good point. I mean, if, if you hadn't have mentioned that Kartik, I probably wouldn't have thought about that as far as the effects that they would have had the day after. On a Harry Kane is just one example of many different players that would have been affected by this, and sometimes the day after can be be a lot worse than than the day of. Um, thankfully, Christian Eriksen is back on on the road to recovery. But it, as for soccer fans or, or just for humans in general, I think we all wanted to move on. We all wanted Sunday to be a, a positive day and to be focused on goal scoring and and the tournament progressing, just in our own healing process our our own way to deal with the kind of just the the tragedy just the just the the horror really of, of what happened on saturday so it's uh it's probably kind of a fault of human nature in some ways is is that we want to move on speaking of moving on kartik we will move on all right not a lot of uh, tv streaming news this week but um something that uh, uh a colleague well not a colleague but actually a former colleague of yours um Bob Williams from uh, Sport Business uh, Publication and Industry Publication wrote a really great piece about uh, ESPN Plus and La Liga and relevant sports and um, how the deal was, was signed, etc. But there was one interesting thing in particular that came out of that article, and I'll, I'll have you read it to uh, l- let us know. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
ESPN Plus, this is actually, now that I think about it, not surprising, now that Bob's written about it, is lagging well behind on uh, its its targets for Hispanic subscriptions. And La Liga will offer something strategic for that audience uh, that they, they can't get otherwise. So um, that's that to me was a big deal. And then the other piece was that ESPN is doubtful that they're a real player um, in acquiring Premier League rights uh, – next season after losing the Serie A rights to, uh, uh, to, to CBS Sports. What we know is that the Serie A rights for CBS Sports basically went for about the same dollar amount per year, maybe even slightly less than the combined FA Cup um, Serie A package IMG had sold to ESPN three years earlier, and ESPN decided not to pay that. And CBS decided that they could they could they could afford to pay that. So, with uh, looking at that, you think Premier League and in looking at what they've shelled out on uh, on uh, La Liga, Premier League very unlikely, and that's basically been confirmed uh, by this story. Well, yeah, and part of it is conjecture on sport businesses' side and, and Bob Williams. But um, the the other key piece of this Carter, too is that uh, it said sport business understands that uh, La Liga for ESPN. It acts. It acts as something of an insurance policy. So, yeah. I mean, ESPN loses Serie A to CBS Sports. There's no guarantee that ESPN will get the rights to the Premier League. I'm sure they'd love it. So, if you're not going to get the Premier League and you've lost Serie A, La Liga is an insurance policy to make sure that you still have a major uh, international soccer league that's available on ESPN Plus. And like you said too. It does appeal to a brand new audience of Hispanic subscribers that uh, up to this point, really, ESPN Plus hasn't had a lot of interest content on there that's been really appealing to that that soccer audience. They don't have uh, Liga MX games. You mean they don't have many of the Mexican games, but now they have every single La Liga game. So that brings in a whole new audience. I'm sure that ESPN's hoping. They've spent a lot of money on those rights, so that that's that's part of the, the their plan too. So some some good in, insight there by Bob. TV ratings. Um, we don't have the CBS number on this one, but the USA Mexico Concacaf Nations League final on Spanish language television. What a great game that was! That was probably one of the best games I've seen in a long time. Just a, a kind of a, a theater. It was just so dramatic. But more than four million viewers watched this one. Um, on uh, Univision and Tuduene. And we don't know what the, the CBS number was because that was on CBS Sports Network and also on Paramount Plus, and they do not reveal those numbers. But if I had a guess, I'd say maybe maybe two million viewers, maybe a million and a half, maybe perhaps. We, we won't know, but you mean so. Uh, but anyway, on the Spanish language side, four million viewers. Yeah, they, they, they have that number internally at CBS, though, just for yeah. people who they know. think maybe they have no idea. They're, they're, not Nielsen public, they're not publicly Nielsen rated, but they do, have a, they do monitor the numbers they're getting. They, yeah. they and get they, it internally. And they know the Paramount Plus numbers, and they know yeah. – you mean, they so know they know. Right. And, and they're buying soccer rights like crazy, so um, these things must be pointing in a positive direction. Listen to Mailbag. First up is uh, Milan Jar. And uh, or Milan Jar and um, Milan says, "Why do American presenters and announcers refuse to call it kickoff? They always refer to it as first kick or kick. 
I've noticed this from ESPN presenters for this tournament. What's up with that? Kartik, I've got a uh, theory on this one. I don't, but but he's right. That that is right. They always say first first kick or kick. Yeah, I think it's a she, but but I think I think Milan. The reason I, I, that my theory is is just they want to mix it up. They don't want to sound like kind of boring. Ah, here's the kickoff. But whether it's John Strong, you mean with his motto, or slogan, or tagline, whatever it is, uh, they're just trying to be cutesy, funny, and just trying to rather than say here's the kickoff. They're using their own words just to kind of make it interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good point. Donald Dickinson says, great pod last week as usual. I do wonder if your take on being burnt out with all the matches, especially post-COVID with the condensed schedule, could be the reason why Major League Soccer is not considered um, great amongst most of us here. After Saturday morning or early afternoon of Man City, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, PSG, Juventus and Barcelona plus others we watch. I wonder if that takes the air out of a Seattle or LAFC or Philadelphia Union or NYCFC MLS game late afternoon or late night if it's a West Coast start. There is nothing MLS can do, but I do wonder if people pay attention more in the morning because we are hyped up on coffee. By 6 p.m., everything is done and dinner has set so all you want to do is chill with the family, thus you miss any great things that have happened in Major League Soccer. Kartik, I think this is uh, this has been true for more than a decade, right? Yeah, I, I think that um, also an issue with, with MLS uh, for me is that I can't keep track of where the players are. And there's always new teams popping up. So there, 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 there's this lack of continuity. Now, I know we have promotion and relegation in, uh, in, in, in Europe, so we technically have new teams. But you don't have players constantly changing teams. Now, actually, a league that's worse than MLS for that is Mexico. But that's part of it. So I think yeah. there's also like the stability continuity thing in terms of uh, people not uh, – I mean, just not – you don't know who plays for what team. But maybe it is burnout also. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, you could say a lot of people do a lot of things during the day, Saturday and Sunday, with their kids, and they might be better off settling in for a game late at night uh, or, or yeah. in the evening. So in that respect, MLS has an advantage. Yeah, it doesn't seem to impact uh, Liga MX negatively, though. I mean, so so I think what it is is you have the audience that's watching Major League Soccer games uh, is almost a subset of the English language audience. The vast majority of the English language audience is watching, I mean, Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga, Premier League, and and in many other leagues. So that subset of that audience is pretty small, relatively speaking. Now, there's a whole different audience for Liga MX and Mexican-Americans watching those games and making that appointment viewing uh, times to watch those games. And at the end of the day, I, I always say this, but if a game's good, no matter what, people will t- figure out a way to watch that game. So if it's a CONCACAF uh, Nations League game and it's on Sunday night and it kicks off between Mexico and the United States at, I don't know, 9 o'clock, 9.30, people will do whatever it takes to watch that game because they want to watch that game. If they're not watching that game, then there's a reason for that. And it might be that they're... You mean that they're burned out or might be that they don't give those MLS games as much priority as a game that is a Barcelona against a Villarreal game earlier in the afternoon or, or whatever it may be? 
Disco George says, I was at the U.S. men's national team friendly this past week, and it reminded me of just how much we miss on television. Some of the passes and through balls that Yunus Musa made in the first half were amazing. His ability, this must, must have been the Costa Rica game, uh, his ability to see the spaces developing and put the ball through quickly is really cool to see in person. I was also really impressed with uh, Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams and the work they put in uh, off the ball, much of which we don't see on camera. Overall, I get a much better sense for how uh, Greg Berhalter wants the team to play and how their press works. I'm curious to see how the Gold Cup group does with it, if it ends up being mostly MLS players. I don't know who's going to fill some of those roles. So that will be interesting to see in terms of the depth of the squad. Jusinho says, something that just came to mind vis-a-vis the national team rights for the U.S. and Mexico. If the national team rights expire after 2022 and North America hosts the following World Cup in 26, what would be the point of trying to get the home matches if the U.S., Mexico and Canada will play a boatload of friendlies outside the Nations League and the Gold Cup between now and the 26 World Cup? With that said, CBS is already in a decent position regarding the CONCACAF national team competitions. I think for CBS to build upon its potential with MLS, they would be best suited for the Fox portion of MLS rights, the CONCACAF Champions League and the League's Cup. Good point there by Jozinho. But the the thing we have to remember, too, is that even though the the United States, Mexico and Canada... um, are not going to have um, qualification games leading into the 2026 World Cup. Um, There will be a lot of friendlies, and some of those friendlies are going to be high-profile friendlies. You could have, for example, some some games. So this rights package for the U.S. men's national team is one example. uh, Leading up to the 2026 World Cup, that's going to be up for bid soon. It could have a a tournament in there, uh, maybe the summer of 2025. There could be... Brazil, Italy, Portugal, uh, England, and the United States in a competition, a high-level competition, um, and they could give it a name. I mean, basically kind of a Confederations Cup, but uh, based in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. So there's still some value there for sure. And at the the same time, you've got the U.S. women's national team rights. They're worth uh, just as much. Yeah, so in in Asia this time, because Qatar was concerned about not being uh, uh, sharp coming into a tournament, which they uh, obviously have never qualified for the World Cup before. Now they actually have a good team. They they might have qualified anyway. But um, uh, they're playing in uh, Asian qualifiers even though they're in the World Cup, right? So they're, they, they're playing as kind of an ineligible team. I mean, we've seen this. I guess I've seen this in college sports before when teams have been on probation but have played the season. Uh, so they're, they're, um, they're playing in qualifiers. So it's possible. Now, that's one nation versus three. I don't know if CONCACAF wants to put three nations in and then, then assign six other spots. That complicates it more. But uh, there is a possibility these, these countries could play in qualifying. We actually don't know, Chris, yet if they're all going to automatically qualify either. We're making an assumption. They have to be, this though, is right? a new format World Cup, and we don't know that. 
Yeah, they have to be, though. I mean, I'm sure... Uh, they have to be. I, I think they have to Gianni Infantino. But, well, I, mean, I, I thought it was... I, I, at one point, Dublin was going to host matches in this uh, in this Euro. And I, I uh, for those who don't know, I, I, I support the Republic of Ireland as a European uh, team. My second team in Europe is probably Northern Ireland. Um, so uh, Slovakia ended up beating both the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland in the playoffs. In the playoff final, they beat Northern Ireland. They beat Republic of Ireland uh, on penalties in the, in the semifinals of the Euro 2020, I guess it was, yeah, Euro 2020 playoffs. So I was thinking, you know, it would have been really weird to have games in Dublin when Ireland nor Northern Ireland, who would have a natural affinity support uh, in, 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 uh, in, in the Republic of Ireland, uh, didn't qualify. Uh, but they were still going to host games and, and withdrew because of COVID. So it, you know you don't necessarily automatically qualify. Although that this is an odd tournament, right? This Euro where they're hosting it all over the place. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Azerbaijan uh, wasn't even close to qualifying, and there Baku's hosting matches. But yeah, I thought about that because of the Ireland situation and the fact that both Ireland and Northern Ireland were in, in the same playoff pod. So I thought, okay, one of them will qualify. And as it turns out, Slovakia came through there and. and actually this recording doing well in the tournament so no guarantee uh particularly i think because the u.s is hosting the bulk of games um it, it would not make sense for them to have to qualify but there's no guarantee that uh mexico and canada are going to be in automatically i think yeah. they probably will be well but there's no guarantee yeah yeah and i think they will be just because of the cozy relationship between uh gianni infantino fifa president and um Concacaf and u.s soccer and mls that they helped him win the FIFA presidency. So um, they all, Gianni owes um, CONCACAF and and especially the U S soccer. So I think uh, they'll do whatever they can to, to make that uh, happen where it's automatic qualification. Uh, Mercator says, glad to hear I'm not the only one loving the CBS presentation of the U S men's national team. I get it. I get it's not everyone's taste, but CBS has a home run here. Remember, the, the most popular sports pre-post game in the U.S. is NBA on TNT, with a few former stars just cracking jokes while the host tries to bring it back to basketball. This crew will be a hit with casual sports fans. I was at a party and managed to get everyone to leave the U.S. men's uh, Mexico game on television almost entirely because everyone loved Charlie Davis doing the stanky leg when bringing out the trophy. Again, not everyone's taste, but this will be popular and will grow the game. I don't la- I don't mind the lack of a whiteboard. These guys are ex-players. I want to hear their honest opinions, not a detailed tactical breakdown. I really enjoyed the exchange between Dempsey and Davis on Sargent as a striker. Kartik, enjoy the over-analysis of England for the moment. They are like the Cowboys, big team that never goes anywhere. The more they hype it up, the funnier it is when things go sideways. England (laughs) underperform, Germany overperform, death and taxes. Bram Weisser says, uh, Chris, as much as you and Kartik have... uh, blasted broadcasters like NBC based on how they present their studio programs, uh, perhaps not being sufficiently analytical. I'm very surprised to see you rave about what transpired um, on CBS Sports Network with the CONCACAF Nations League. There was far too much bro talk among Gucci Onueyu, Clint Dempsey and Charlie Davis. And uh, sure, Gucci and Clint gave some analysis, but they should have probably cut the side chatter at least by half, if not more, and stuck to breaking down the weekend's games for the benefit of their audience, who 
don't really care as much about such topics that they that they actually did time t- did take time to talk about like a re- recent fishing trip they took. USA Mexico, as was mentioned during the weekend, um, the preeminent men's soccer rival- uh, rivalry in this part of the world, and by giving it uh, by giving in to all that unnecessary side talk. CBS missed out on a terrific opportunity that fell into their lap by signing on to broadcast these finals or was part of the anticipated and hoped for benefit of doing so. I wonder how many people interested in the matches tuned out from these distractions and switched to Univision's networks to watch matches instead. If I wasn't actually watching the games on my DVR instead of live, I might have done likewise. So we know that 4 million people watched that game on Univision and Tudo NA. Um, I would imagine, pretty safe bet, that the majority of those viewers were uh, fans supporting Mexico. Uh, and I'm sure there's many supporting the United States too, but the vast majority would have been Mexican fans. But, but uh, Bram Weiser, going back to what you mentioned in terms of uh, kind of not understanding why I would think that CBS did a good job with that type of um, analysis, if you, if you can call it analysis, but the pregame and halftime and postgame. To be honest, I'm not the audience for those games. Uh, That's going to, like you said, it's going to a mainstream sports fan audience. And I'm not that. But but I can see what they're doing. And I think they did a good job at that. Um, But again, it's probably not for me. Kartik, what about you? Are you... um are you that audience or or not? <laughs> I'm not that audience. I I I uh, I in my praise them, but I did tune out for a lot of it. I'm not I'm not denying that, and and it's not. And I'm just telling you how much I love watching uh, ESPN FC and watching Taylor Twellman at, at the at the at the board talk about Calvin Phillips and all this stuff. That that's certainly not what we got from the CBS broadcast. But I'm not the target audience either. I think the thing about NBC though, uh, and this is important to note. Maybe it's not a byproduct of NBC, uh, but it very well could be. So the first year, the first couple of years, NBC had the Premier League. They were doing such fantastic stuff and such new stuff for an American audience that the viewership grew. Now the viewership has plateaued. I mean, with the exception of a, a brief spike right after the restart, Project Restart with COVID, and really it didn't even last all the way till the end of the season. It was the first few weeks after the restart. They've not seen really a bump in viewership in several seasons. So I think whatever they're doing, you know, we can criticize it from our own personal preferences. And maybe much of my criticism and Chris's criticism comes down to our personal preferences. They're, they're clearly not getting the uptick in, in numbers and the growth in viewership that we're seeing for other soccer properties or for the sport in general in this country. So there's something very stale and static about NBC's coverage, which – who knows? Maybe they'll fix this this coming season, especially since, as far as we know, they want to retain the rights for the Premier League. Yeah, but it's also a kind of a uh, was it uh, a dead turkey? Well, I don't know what the phrase is, but it, it's a final season. Dead rubber. Dead rubber. Thank oh. you. Well, it's not really yeah. a dead rubber, but uh, it, it's a final season of their current deal. So either they go into this final season knowing that they don't have the rights for the next three to six years. Or they go into that final season going like, hey, we, we just renewed the rights for another three to six years and we are ecstatic and we're so excited to keep on bringing you the Premier League for, for another another six years. So it, it's uh, it's interesting timing in terms of the same thing happened with Turner. We knew that Turner had lost the rights to the, the Champions League 
in their second season of their their three-year deal. So that final season was kind of, it seemed really strange because we were like, okay, we can watch these games on Turner, but we know that, you mean, they're not as invested because they're not going to have it uh, for, for, you mean, after year three. Little did we know at the time that uh, they ended it after year two. They said, okay, we'll give it back. We're not interested anymore. Mike says, I'm curious as to what your favorite soccer-related podcasts are, both as a regular show and as a limited series. For me, besides your show, of course, I enjoy These Football Times podcast. As for a limited series, I thought American Fiasco was excellent. So, Mike, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts and um, not as much anymore. Um, probably because I'm, I'm working from my home office, so I'm not traveling uh, back and forth to work t- to to an office, um, and th- and that was oftentimes where I would listen to podcasts in my commute, commute. So for me, my favorite podcast, the one I listen to other than World Soccer Talk, is uh, something called The Football Attic, which is a uh, podcast focus on on retro soccer. So it talks about soccer from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, and right now is doing a series about uh, taking old Match of the Day from the BBC episodes and analyzing them minute by minute, uh, which I know is not for everyone. For me, I enjoy it because they talk about, you mean, some of the interesting quirks and, you mean, the production and uh, some of the, the games and the games themselves and kind of how things have changed. But uh, I think it's an interesting kind of experiment so that I enjoy. What about you, Kartik? I know, I know you listen to a ton of stuff out there. Yeah, so uh, my uh, I, I, like Chris, I, I I listen to not that many soccer podcasts. Most of the podcasts I listen to are or hist- are history related or political related. Uh, many of them are, 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 are Guardian, Guardian podcasts, so we can continue with that. Which is uh, the Guardian Football Weekly. I was a religious listener about 15 years ago uh, through 2010, 2011. Dropped off. Uh, they replaced James Richardson with uh, with uh, Max Rushton a few years ago. Max Rushton, who I liked from Talk Sports, so I'm now back hooked on that podcast. Listen to their podcast now. Now I'm listening to it. Uh, this is why, Chris, your initial question: We should we open the podcast with? Uh, and I said I'm not burnt out yet. I I think. I probably will at some point because I'm trying to listen, watch ESPN FC and listen to the Guardian Europe podcast every night. And so probably at some point I may drop off of Copa America because I'm trying to consume all this additional Euro content. So uh, Guardian Football Weekly I like. Uh, As far as historic shows, I really like uh, um, uh, Quickly Kevin, uh, the 90s show. Quickly, Kevin, will he score that 90s football show? I listen to that uh, fairly regularly. It's sporadically out, but that's a show I like. Uh, And I also – These Football Times is a show I listen to. I used to listen to more regularly but still uh, listen to occasionally. All right. And then the last comment we have this week on the podcast is from Mark. And Mark says, I was kind of shocked at your comments about Julie Stewart-Binks on FUBO's uh, South American Qualifiers coverage. After hearing how awful you thought she was, I went back and watched some of her halftime discussion with, uh, with Melissa Ortiz. Seemed fine to me. They discussed the game, showed the highlights. Uh, Stuart Brink- Binks uh, directed the discussion with questions to Ortiz 
I know we think ESPN is the gold standard for coverage, but come on, Chris. Have you watched Alejandro Moreno lately? I'm sure someone enjoys his yelling a new catchphrase every chance he gets, but obviously someone at ESPN think he's, think he's worth what they are paying him, which is why your criticism of Stuart Banks was so disappointing. She's on Fubo TV. She doesn't have the production resources of ESPN or CBS Sports. Fubo must like her. They had her host a preview show for the South American qualifiers with the Cooligans. I'm not a fan of the Cooligans, but it was okay even with the Cooligans. So, so Mark, what I would say with that too is that um, my opinions I expressed in that podcast were from the very first night of the coverage that they did. And then I think we recorded that podcast that night or the, or the next morning after. Um, from day two of the coverage that they did, which would have been the Brazil-Ecuador game, I think it was, and then day three, which was the Tuesday games, she was much better. Still not perfect. Still, I still definitely don't think she's the best person for that role. I think Melissa Ortiz, again, was the star of the show, very natural in front of the television, and, and Julie was definitely much better on day two and day three. Um, but uh, but the studio, which is, um, I guess they're using the studio in Miami, which uh, I think Media Pro, uh, it's their studio. And I don't know, it looks just really amateurish. And, th- and that's probably part of the critique I had on Julie is that um, it's not just Julie herself, but the whole production was, I expect more from Fubo. Just, uh, just as I expect more from ESPN, I expect more from Fubo. Fubo's been um, broadcasting soccer now indirectly, ESPN and CBS and BN Sports and all those channels since 2013. So that's eight years of knowing that soccer audience and know what the, knowing what they like and having the Fubo Sports Network and broadcasting some soccer coverage and chat shows and things like that. I just thought that um, I was much more impressed on day two and day three. Uh, day one, I was not impressed, which was just my honest feedback on, on what I saw. All right, listeners, if you have any questions, feedback, rants or raves, um, want to agree with us, disagree with us, um, any questions about streaming, uh, especially Euro 2020, Copa America, Gold Cup, Olympics. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be a crazy summer. Um, So um, definitely one to kind of keep your pace, try not to get burned out. But we we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com Kartik, Friday, England against Scotland, 3pm Eastern uh, on ESPN and Prende TV I am going to be watching that game might even go to a pub, which is the first time I've gone to a pub to watch a game probably in I don't know, two years? 14 months and it's yeah. been a long time but what about you I'm not going to Europe pub because I'm rooting for Scotland so, <laughs> <laughs> so what about you what, what are you looking forward to uh, watching this weekend and, and what are you going to do I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, obviously Germany Portugal on, on Saturday that's now a must win for uh, for Germany and then obviously England Scotland every Euro match right Italy Switzerland which is on Wednesday I think is a, a maybe because I watched so much Bundesliga I overrate Switzerland I, I was very disappointed by their performance against Wales, although I like Wales, so I actually wanted Wales to win. Uh, but um, yeah, I want a good football ahead, and I'm going to enjoy my football, as I'm sure the rest of the listeners will as well.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.